Hi, this is Doug Kay, the co-host of All About the Gear, and you're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the Cashfly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with Cashfly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and use the promo code TWIP. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks, the super simple cloud accounting software that's giving thousands of freelancers and small businesses the tools to save time billing and get paid faster. Try it free at freshbooks.com slash TWIP. And Pocket Shooters, the newest course to hit the TWIP school. It's all about mastering mobile photography. This course is priced at $147, but you can grab it today at the introductory price of just $97. Check it out now at twipschool.com. This is TWIP, episode 487, Amputees in Vogue. Sony's new 4K action cam has optical image stabilization. Paralympic athletes are replaced by able-bodied models in an ad campaign. And a tourist spends 13 days in a Cuban prison for flying a drone in Havana. It's Monday, October 17th, 2016, and this is TWIP. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson, here to chat about photography stories that we think you should be aware of this week are Christine Allward from ChristineThePhotographer.com and Don Komarechka from Don Komarechka Photography. Hey guys, how are you doing? Great, Great how are you Frederick. doing, Frederick? I'm doing good. I'm doing okay. As we were discussing before we started the show, I am uh, I am in geekdom. Don, I know you can <laughs> you can sympathize. So we're you know to what we're doing is we're we're making some changes so that we can take Twip live and start live streaming Twip. Um, and uh, I am completely underwater in terms of geek stuff right now <laughs> software and video conversion and cameras and you know frame rates and all this stuff so i'm trying to figure it out i'm learning a lot so hopefully this this may be the last canned show that we do looking looking forward to live streaming so christine you haven't been on the show in forever yeah what's where, up with that where have you been last time you were here you had just like you had just purchased the house like have you sold that one and bought another one like what's going on almost <laughs> but no, <laughs> not yet. No, things have been great. I've just been living the dream. Yeah, Busy working. I see, I see some yeah. seamless paper back there. It looks like you were just shooting, right? I was, yeah. It's holiday season, so. You doing lots of pumpkin shots? Pumpkins no, I'm like. not into that. I don't, I don't do that. You don't shoot the little babies, like, popping out of the pumpkin with a little thing on their head or something? No, I Thank don't. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm I kidding. don't. <laughs> I do. I mean, right now it's big. It's all families. It's all kids. It's all everyone prepping for holidays. And luckily, I have clients that are great, and they know that we need to start now. But no one wants to pop out of a pumpkin, so I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna make a pumpkin. I haven't made a pumpkin in forever. I haven't um, either. Let's do it together. Let's do one. And you know what I'm gonna call it? I'm gonna make. It's gonna be an orange <laughs> pumpkin. Obviously, I'm gonna put a blonde wig on it, and it's gonna be called Donald Trumpkin. I'm totally rocking the Donald Trumpkin. It's going to sit on my porch. It's going to have, you know, make pumpkins great again on a sign in front of it. It's going to be awesome. It's perfect. It is the scariest thing I could think of. (laughs) It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Also on the show is Mr. Don Komarechka wearing a orange Donald Trumpkin shirt. What's going on, man? 
Uh, okay, well, I wasn't intending on it representing that, but uh, all right, I'll, I'll have to change my shirt now, I guess. But it's uh, no, no. Um, so I, things have been great. I just finished doing a, um, uh, a shoot and uh, an edit process for about a week um, on a documentary film that I can't really quite talk about the details of yet. But needless to say, it was exhausting, pushed me to new limits, and the results are fantastic. So. When I can usually, talk about it, you'll hear about it. Usually, things that are exhausting and push that and that push you to new limits are usually worth talking about. So, and and I'm totally going to put my daughter in a pumpkin. Um, she's she's four months old now, so she'll fit really nicely in a big one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That just that's like right on the edge of child abuse. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm as going long to put as you my don't kid cut, in a gourd. Just don't don't cut the holes for the legs to come out because that just looks so painful. No, no, I, I, I won't be doing that. Okay, sure. but and no, don't I, cut when, the holes she while she's old. in the pumpkin. Cut the holes no, before you put that, her that in there. That is terrifying. Uh, when she was three days old, her photo shoot was in a salad bowl, so she'll graduate to a pumpkin. Uh, <sighs> She's so gonna torture you when you're on your when you're in your convalescent home. She's gonna be like, "You remember that pumpkin, Dad?" Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, now you're hey. in a pumpkin, old man. <laughs> oh God. Um, but you know, it, it's funny because most of the the photos that we take of her are just with cell phones. They're, they're not with any any bigger camera. And I don't want to be known as that strange man behind the camera uh, mm-hmm. instead of Dad. You know, so yeah. th- th- sure. there will be a few shoots here and there. Uh, as uh, as festivities come about, but uh, for the most part, no, it's just the snapshots that we go for. Sure, yeah, it. wait till first birthday. That's the most fun. That's the best <laughs> photo shoot. First birthday be. is my favorite. So much stuff, so much stuff. Well, it's good to have both of you guys on the show, and this is a very special show for a lot of reasons, For because it may be one of the last twips out of 487 that we record. We're going to go live in front of a studio audience, hopefully coming up real soon, but we also launched our Patreon campaign for to, to allow the TWIP army to help support TWIP and help us grow it and do things like this live streaming thing. So we launched it a couple of days ago, and we've already got a bunch of subscribers or a bunch of patrons in there. I want to read their names off, and I want to say thank you to each and every one of you that have donated and become a patron in the TWIP army. So here goes the list. First time on TWIP. We've got Nicole Hawkins. We've got Jeffrey Totaro, who's a friend of TWIB. He's been on, architectural photographer. We've got Kieran Peasy. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Peasy. We've got Scott Davenport, John Martin, John Hoffman, David Welfett, Suman, Joshua Karp, Michael Casey, Ken Davidson, Steve Vansack, Antonio, let's see if we can get Antonio's right, name right, Nascimiento. Did I get that right? Nascimento. Nascimento. I'm not trying it. Antonio Nascimento. There you go. Hope I got it right. Antonio, comment. Let me know if I got that right. Tom Arbor, Christian Navarro, Sean Maswan, or Maswan. Um, m- oh, gosh. <laughs> Mikael, and a name with characters in it I can't pronounce. I'm going to say Shjorgen. Shjorgen. S J. O with an umlaut. That's an umlaut on it, right? G-R-E-N. And Craig Rothler. So thank you. You, you guys are the first, the first enlistees in the TWIP army. I appreciate you. And uh, we're going to continue this trend of adding uh, or reading off the new patrons that come into the TWIP fold. So if you want to help support TWIP, head over to twip.pro slash donate. That's twip.pro slash donate and help us keep TWIP on the air and expand it and do some cool stuff. 
All right, let's dive into the stories here. The first story is, oh, geez, where is it? This is, oh, here it is. Yeah, Sony. So Sony, so first of all, so if you didn't know, Sony has this line of cameras called Action Cam, which have been in competition with GoPro and the other Action Cam makers forever. And in my opinion, the Sony cameras have been in some way superior to the GoPro brand, but I think Sony lost traction because GoPro built an ecosystem around their cameras in terms of mounts and cases and all that stuff, which Sony, I think, for in the beginning had failed to do. Well, they've announced a new 4K action cam that has optical image stabilization built into it, which is kind of cool. And you may remember, if you, if you know anything about Sony, most of their cameras have, or their consumer cameras, have steady shot in there which is image stabilization, but it is software-based image stabilization. So essentially what it does is it blows the frame up a little bit and then does its math to to stabilize the image, but you end up with a loss of quality. This new thing has optical image stabilization, which is ridiculously cool for something so tiny. So I want to throw it to you guys. First, you, Christine. I know you don't, you know, you're not doing this kind of photography in your studio back there. (laughs) I'm obviously not the target market, right? Obviously. (laughs) I'm so active out there on my snowboard and on my dirt bike. Yeah, yeah. And hang gliding and all that. Yeah. However, um, I think it's really cool looking. And for $400, if I wanted to, like, get one for my husband, who's more active and into that stuff, I think it's super cool. Yeah. I mean, it is. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I think I think about this stuff when I see it? I mean, I like these cameras, and, of course, I like gadgets and everything. It's a cool camera. I have, actually have a couple of older action cams that I, I rarely use. <laughs> like, I'm never using these cameras. So I'm like, why do I want this? Thing. And the other thing with these action cams, and I think it's the GoPro problem as well, is that they you know, once you buy one, you don't use it that often, so they don't mm-hmm. wear out that quickly. So when they come out with a new one, you look at your older one, you're like, mm, do I really need to? I mean, I have I've barely used this one. Do I really need to get another one? I don't know. I mean, yeah, and it I would mean, make a good stocking stuffer, though, right? Everything claims to be the GoPro killer, and I just I don't know. I know GoPro is going to not be on Amazon, right? Something about that. So mm-hmm. maybe... Uh... I don't know. I think GoPro might be the GoPro killer. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You know, self-inflicted wounds. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, or DJI might be the GoPro killer with the whole Mavic versus the Karma drone thing. But I don't know. What do you think, Don Komarecka? Like Im- optical image stabilization? What we were saying, I know you dropped out and came back in, but what we were saying was... Or what I was saying was that when you buy these kinds of tools, you very rarely, unless you're like an extreme sports kind of person, but you very rarely use them, which means you don't have a lot of wear and tear on it. So when they come out with another one, you kind of think, well, do I really need that? I mean, you know, what do you think? Yeah, well, it's a tough question to answer because when it comes right down to it, the real selling point of, of upgrading has to be huge, right? It can't just be um, a slight increase here and there. Like, we might consider doing an upgrade for 
in other areas like our cell phone or something like that. You know, I know a lot of people will buy the latest iPhone when it comes out or they'll skip a generation and they'll get the second. But, you know, you're getting a phone every two years. I don't think you need to get one of these action cameras every two years or three years or maybe even four years. Now, this does have two interesting features in it. Um, It's got that optical stabilization that you mentioned and the GoPro doesn't have that. And so for some, and I'm going to say it's a small section of the market, they might be craving it. But I've got a feeling that people that are happy with the GoPro, they don't know what they're missing. And so they're not craving this new feature that they don't yet have. It's just it's not even on their radar. Um, And uh, and so keeping that in mind, 4K video footage, yeah, that's that's useful. Maybe it's more useful in editing when you want to crop in and give you a little bit more flexibility within that. Um, But for a lot of the content that I see online that I'm that I see streaming on YouTube or or Facebook or or any streaming service from the. The, the general population, very little of it is 4K. I think it gets transcoded to lower resolutions. Maybe I'm just not watching it in 4K and that's an option. Yeah. But uh, and, and I know a lot of people, they want to record in 4K now so that they have that later, and that's great, and so that might be a feature. Um, but I, I got to talk about the elephant in the room here. Um, I, I, I spent 45 minutes or so in my garage uh, digging this out. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, for the listening audience, Don Komareczka just pulled out a vintage Game Boy. (laughs) A vintage Game Boy. There you go. It still works. (laughs) And it still works, so... You need to capture that sound. That needs to be your incoming text message sound. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm I'm looking at this game, and and if if I'm looking through this, and I know that that this is more of an audio podcast than anything else, this, this has a fairly large... LCD screen that has menus for this RPG game that I found also in my garage that I can navigate through with far greater ease than I can on any of these little mobile action cameras. This is 27 years old. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. yeah. What is the problem, guys? I mean... Yeah. The- so I, oh, you're I know- talking about the, the Sony interface, and apparently they announced that they had made some changes or some improvements... To to the interface, so yeah. So now, I now you seen can it. see. I, I saw some of it being demoed, and and so you now actually get to see more than one menu option on the screen at a time. <gasps> because previously you would see like one word, and you would scroll to the next word. No, I don't want that. You scroll to the next word. No, I don't want I that. Know. You wouldn't. And you get lost in the grid. Yeah. I and, when I had one, you had to like. Yeah, even with the GoPros, I remember when I initially got the GoPro, I had to like literally sit there. I was in. I hadn't used a GoPro in years, and we did that White House thing. I was in the White House, and we're and I was trying to set up a GoPro to do time lapse of the setup, and I'm literally under pressure at like 30 <laughs> minutes to get this thing going, and my hands are shaking. I'm like, how do you get to? <laughs> I had to like step out of myself and like, okay, it's a grid, Frederick. Just imagine it's a grid, and you're moving up, down, left, and right on a grid. And then once I kind of visualized it like that, I was able to get my bearings. Sure. And, and so I saw the new Sony menu at play, and it is a vast improvement over the previous one. Mm-hmm. It is still, comparing to the video that I've seen of that, to this 27-year-old Game Boy, it's falling short. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's not a technological problem. Clearly, it isn't. Um, so w- the, the shortcomings here are just engineering, putting resources into the wrong place. You need to make this camera as easy to use and as convenient to use as possible. Look at I GoPro agree. with their new uh, voice activations and all of that, and that's a step in that direction for sure because you can't be using the device. You can't be pressing buttons on the side of it and using it at the same time. 
I think that Sony has improved, but I still think that they're falling short. And if you yeah. look at the price points, it, they're, it, they're selling this new camera for $400. Mm-hmm. And that's great, but the GoPro uh, 5 Black is also $400. And so and they've, they've, got a, they've got the AS300R, which is only 1080p, only 1080p, um, and that one's 300 bucks. So. Right, and and so, but but at that price point, they need to drop each of these cameras down by fifty bucks. Um, if they could you know, have a four K camera it's, at three fifty, it's it's the like you think about how many cool movies there were back in the day. You know, like you go like like when they really had to work the tools on movies, and you know they were like some amazing scripts, like fifty whatever years ago. Like they were making some really good like storytelling, and then. And I bet those filmmakers back then were probably like, you know what? If I had unlimited resources and I was only limited by my imagination of what I could put on the screen, I can't imagine what I would do. Then you fast forward today and you have Michael Bay (laughs) making Transformers. It's the same thing with this stuff. So back in the day with the Game Boy, they had to figure out how to make how to do more with less because they only had certain processor speeds and battery life and all that stuff. It, it was a one now, megahertz processor right. in this machine, by yeah. the way. I had a Commodore 64 that I had, I, you know, I learned how to code basic on. It was awesome. And now, you know, it, it, times have changed. <laughs> they, they have, but the fundamental user interface hasn't. I mean, if you look at cameras back 50 years ago, I mean, there were uh, umpteen uh, knobs and dials and switches and levers, yeah, all for yeah. very specific purposes. And then we get to these action cams that don't, they, they have one button, yeah. and that one button has to serve 10 purposes if it can. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's very hard to control a device that way. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, sometimes, uh, Christine, you are not, you're like, you, I, I love having you on the show because you represent more of the photographer, right? So, so there's like this line. There's like this, this, you know, you represent a, you know, a photographer in a six foot range, and at about the three inch mark, you start moving into geekdom. <laughs> Don Komarechka is about, you know, what five inches in. Oh, I'm a lost cause. I know that. I yeah, I don't like stuff. I'm like the worst when it comes to this. I'm like, ah, eh, just keep it. Yeah, but see, that's the thing, because you look at your photography, and it's amazing. So it's not like you're, you're the perfect example of it ain't the gear, you know? No, it's not, right. It's, like, it's not the economy, stupid. It ain't the gear, stupid. It's the photographer and the vision and the client and, you know, the, the subject photographer interaction and all that stuff. Do you agree? I, yeah, I do. Um, you know, not that someone can't have a vision with an action camera. I've seen some amazing stuff. True, 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 true. Um, you know, but I use what I use, and I don't venture outside of that very much, and I'm okay with that. But I find it so interesting listening to Don, who understands all this stuff and knows it all, and like maybe Don I should lives try in the to Matrix. be he, more Don marinates his bedroom, I'm sure, is filled but with zeros and ones. It's fascinating. <laughs> I just, you know, this is what I do every day. I, I use what I use because that's all I need. And yeah. I don't go outside of that very often unless I have to. And this isn't something I feel like I have to use in any way, shape, or form. I, and yeah. I want to congratulate you on what you just said because that means that you're focused on the art, you're focused on your craft, and you're not focused on the technology. You know, I, we've had so many conversations on TWIP and elsewhere, and the Internet is rampant with technology conversations about gear and what little setting on one camera uh, supersedes and makes it so much better than mm-hmm. the previous version or another manufacturer. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. The most impactful, most powerful, influential uh, 
enigmatic and uh, emotional images that we've all seen. And I could name a few, um, you know, the Afghan girl, Tank Man, Napalm Girl. The list goes on for those iconic photographs that mm-hmm. I could just say the name of and you can picture in your head. Yeah. Th- those were all made on what we consider antiques today, by Absolutely. far. And so you have to dial it back and look at, okay, the, the idea behind our craft is, yes, we push limits when we have to. We push limits not just technologically but creatively. Uh, and, and so if the gear lets us push certain technolo- technological limits that lets us do a creative idea. So if 4K lets you explore this new creative idea, that optical stabilizer lets you accomplish something that you could not do without it, then this camera is absolutely for you. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that creative idea waiting in the wings and that's your only creative idea, you've got nothing else creative, then yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe get this camera because then you can yeah. explore that one idea. But if that's the only idea you have, I think you might be doing it wrong. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think of it as like, because I'm an analogy man, right? So I, th- I think of it as like Batman, right? So Batman has the Batcave and he has the car that has all these crazy gadgets on it. He has his suit with all this crazy stuff on there. He has to be ready for anything at any time, right? Because he's Batman. You never know what's going to come up on him. Photographers are not Batman. You don't have to like, okay, just in case... Something, you know, I need to shoot some action footage. I got to have that in my bag. I need to have, you know, I need these 12 lenses in my bag. I got to have these batteries. Oh, if these run out, I got you. So, and I was guilty of this in in the very beginning of my career. I was like, okay, I need need to build a kit that will allow me to capture any situation that I happen to be presented with. Mm -hmm. Which is, which seems plausible and correct on the surface, but it's untenable just below the surface so so the, the way that i operate now is i have a minimalist now so i have two camera bodies one has a 15 mil lens on it one has a 42.7 f17 lens on it and that's what i carry around with me i've, and, I've been with you on set it's like where's frederick's gear <laughs> yeah yeah because i i used to be that guy that's like you know carry all this stuff around now i carry small things that that it, you know, and it's surprising what I can do with very little, you know, or not even very little, because the gear that I have is is sophisticated. It's just small. But, you know, it's it's amazing the stuff that I can do mm-hmm. today in the same situation that I had a giant low pro bag with, you know, F4s in and giant lenses and batteries and all this stuff. Now it's all gone. I can capture all this stuff with two little cameras and my phone for the most part. And hopefully soon a Mavic, and you know we're we're, we're off into the races. And you, you look at some of the stuff too, and you see that GoPro, what they did with their session camera, that is just incredibly small. I was actually thinking of buying one of those just to stick up in a corner while I'm out photographing snowflakes, or just as a behind-the-scenes camera, just to. St- Stick somewhere and record what I'm doing as footage for uh, workshops and and uh, and for for courses and, and, and video uh, products that I might be working on in the future. There is a use for that, even though I'm not that outdoors action guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm just looking at the form factor of this Sony camera, and it doesn't it doesn't appeal to me. I, I don't know what it is. It just feels misguided in some way, shape, or form to bring it back around to the topic of this camera. Uh, and I wish Sony the best. I hope that this product sells enough to recover their engineering costs for them to do better next time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, we're clearly not, the, all three of us are clearly not the target market for this. There, there may be a crowd of people that are just like dancing on the ceiling because we finally got image stabilization, optical image stabilization into this, this device. But it's, uh, it's not us. So, all right, guys, um, uh, we're going to take a quick break. 
This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects. You're prepping for a photo shoot later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelance photographer. Challenging, yes, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. With freelancers and small business owners in mind, FreshBooks has announced the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for our needs, photographers. FreshBooks has created a super-intuitive tool that makes it easy to create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. You can easily customize your invoice with your logo, color scheme, or any image that reflects your brand. You'll be able to see what invoices have been sent, viewed, and paid, as well as overdue and outstanding invoice totals. You can even chat with your client regarding an invoice once they receive it. The modern and simplified dashboard works as the hub of your business, answering the most important question— how is my business doing? You'll have quick access to outstanding balances, spending, total profit, and accounting reports like tax summary and profit and loss. Tracking expenses is as easy as taking a photo of your receipt and using the FreshBooks iOS app. You can track expenses by vendor and by category. And time tracking makes it easier to bill for time by client and by specific projects. You can easily start your timer and track your time to the minute. And when it comes time to create an invoice, you'll know what you did and when you did it. So get ready for the simplest way to be more productive and organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to the TWIP audience. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Start your 30-day free trial today. And we thank FreshBooks for supporting this episode of This Week in Photo. All right, guys, on with the show. This next story that I want to talk about is about the Paralympics. And it is, I don't know, I, I'm not going to lead the witness on this because I, I, I have certain opinions about this story. So this, let me set it up for you, then we can get your comments. This comes to us from Metro News. So an ad campaign from Vogue basically uses able-bodied models as substitutes for the Paralympic athletes um, at the Rio 2016 Paralympic Paralympic Games. So basically, Vogue magazine published photos of two soap opera stars and then used people that had lost limbs... You know, to make them look like, and Photoshop them to make them look like amputees, and then put those in the magazine to try to bring awareness to the uh, the 2016 Paralympic Games, which apparently is only 15% sold right now. So they were like, you know, they're 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 in emergency mode and they're trying to get attention. So they're getting attention. I don't know if it's the right kind of attention. Uh, Christine Allward, Christine the photographer. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Is this? Uh, I mean, on the one hand, let me let me set it up for you. On the one, on the on the one hand, okay, they you know, and I don't know if there are two hands. On the one hand, they <laughs> you know they're building the advertising. Only one hand. There's <laughs> one built, hand in the picture. Oh, you know, there you go. On the one hand, and then on that same hand, but on the one hand, you know, they're they're trying to bring awareness to something to the 2016 Paralympic Games, which is by definition a good cause right so they're doing by any means necessary if you can get people in there it helps the cause on the artistic side it just leaves a rubbery nasty taste in my mouth of 
you know, exploiting people and not telling the real story. Like, I was looking at these photos, and I'll bring the photos up on the screen. I was looking at the photos, and I was thinking, like, what's what's wrong with the real people? Why, like, can... Well, like, that's the thing. The The... They were there. Like, the real people were on site as inspiration. Like, what does that even mean? No, it means exactly that they took that guy's prosthetic leg and put it on the guy that had two perfectly fine legs. They just photoshopped his fake leg. And and that that woman's, um, uh, the, the, the part of her arm... Uh, where it ends uh, and whatever uh, scars that she has, those exact scars are on the soap opera star. And it's just... It's uh. terrible. I mean, I think it's just... It's such insincere marketing. I understand that you're trying to sell tickets. Find a way to get the, the celebrity endorsement and include the amputees that are going to be competing and create a story where... You know, you can use the celebrity endorsement to sell tickets or whatever. Like, I'm fine with that. But the Photoshop, but look, the Photoshop element I'm, I'm is thinking, just terrible. Yeah, is, it is terrible. And I'm thinking, like, you know, as, like as the, the I'm, I'm looking at the, the photo. The shot of the four of them together is adorable. Like, what's great. wrong with that? Why not just do that? Yeah, exactly. So they're trying to get the, the star power of the soap opera stars to draw attention to this event. Why not just do that? Why be disingenuous and and create a shot that is fake? Obviously fake. It's kind of a slap in the face, you know. Yeah. And like, and you know, what was the slogan? Um, we're all Paralympians or something. And then, but the photo that they photoshopped is just them standing there. Like, I, I don't understand anything. You know what? About we're, it. we're not all Paralympians. That's the and problem. That, okay. Right, we, right. I am not a Paralympian. I have all of my limbs, I have all of my abilities, and I'm not an athlete. I could not hope to do anything what these people do. So, when you don't put the actual Paralympians uh, up in front of the camera, you know what would have been a really fun idea? Is if you had these two soap opera stars that look somewhat similar to uh, to the people that they are borrowing uh, their uh, amputations from, put them together in the same sport. I'm not sure exactly what sports these people play. Unfortunately, I I wish I had had read more into it, but it was more of a sensational piece than anything. Yeah. But if you put the guy with the prosthetic leg against the soap opera star in whatever sport he is competing in, right. he would kick the crap out of the soap opera star, and that would be a worthy story. I think that would be the celebrity endorsement that they would be after, but they totally yeah. missed the boat on it. Yeah, unless he lost, and then they'd have to suppress it. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> True, but... Even still, I think that it would be in good sportsmanship at the very least. Totally. Um, No, I agree. I agree. There's a million different ways they could have taken this, you know, other than, hey, look at what we did. Because now it's a story about how good you can be with Photoshop, not necessarily about these these amazing athletes that are doing things that able-bodied people even can't do. And if you're talking about doing stuff in Photoshop, I mean, Photoshop these guys into, like, rock star superheroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, take take it to the nines in, in Photoshop to, like, do elaborate backgrounds, to, like, sure. put them into these wonderful setups where yeah. they they are the heroes of this game and make it about them and not about some celebrity that is taking their place. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I think we all fall on the same side of this argument. <laughs> and I think everybody else does, too. And I also want to say it's deplorable what Vogue came back with the response as. Saying, yeah, we're standing behind this. Yeah, it's sort of a punch in the gut, but that, that's what we wanted to do, and, uh, and, and we're okay with that. And no, you, you shouldn't be defending yourself at that point. You should 
at least try to apologize in some way, shape, or form. And well, let's talk about it. that a little bit because that's the other piece of it. It's taking the morality and, you know, it's embarrassing and you should have done X, Y, and Z. But looking at it from the standpoint of marketing, it's a brilliant marketing move, right? I mean, we've, we've seen over the past several months that all press is not necessarily positive, but it still gets people talking about it. And we're talking about it on this show. And, you know, they're talking about it on Metro News and... You know, it's a big story, whereas if they had not done this, I doubt that the story would have gone as big as it is. So, in a lot of ways, they are, in fact, drawing attention to the Paralympic Games by doing something as ostentatious as this. Yeah, but not in, not in a good way. I, and and I, we boil back to that idea that all press might be good press in certain scenarios. And yes, for Vogue, it might be selling... Uh, selling magazines and, and getting clicks and, and they'll be making money from their advertisers and what have you. I, I don't think that's a good thing, though. I mean, yeah. sure, they've got money because of it and that might make them do more controversial things in the future because they saw a financial success with this. Um, that That is the worst kind of deal with the devil encouragement that you could see. And it's just... I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to promote that. We're talking about it on Twip. I don't want anybody listening to go and click on these articles. Please, just listen to us. <laughs> be be distasteful of the entire thing. Be angry about it. And don't give them any fractions of pennies by clicking on their links and seeing some ads. I like to see when Don Comoresca gets riled up. I, the, the curls, go, they get puffed out just a little bit more. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, well, we'll link over to the story, and like like Don says, don't necessarily click through to give them links if you don't want to, but it is an interesting story from a, from a photography standpoint. It's interesting from photography and from a marketing standpoint, notwithstanding the morality that comes into play. All right, story number two, speaking of morality and foreign countries uh, to the U.S., the um, <laughs> this is interesting. So Chris Hughes... Chris Hughes, a photographer, actually he's not a photographer, he's a, he's a designer, he owns a design firm in, in Canada, and uh, he recently went on a trip to Cuba for fun and adventure, and he had some of the latter and very little of the former, <laughs> so, so he went there and essentially decided he's going to bring his phantom, DJI phantom drone with him and get some aerials. Of course, I would do the same thing, and uh, he did that, but they incarcerated him for 13 days for flying his drone in Cuba. And it's a horrible story. I watched the whole video and they put him in a, in a tiny cell, gave him a piece of chicken every day and some rice that was probably, you know, not all rice. And, you know, had a hole in the ground to, to take care of his, his bodily functions. And for 13 days, he didn't even know if people knew he was alive and all because he had a drone. Christine Allward, this is scary, right? Especially well, considering I mean, this is like what nightmares are made out of. Like, oh my god, this is yeah, terrible. And I mean, I'm not surprised that this happened to him in Cuba. I'm not kind of surprised he surprised a little yeah. bit. Um, I mean, but he wasn't doing anything. I would be surprised if I if I had gone to Cuba and I had my drone with me, and I'm like on the beach. I'm like, oh man, look at the colorful buildings. This would be amazing from the sky. But he wasn't would... at the beach. He was at somewhere. He, what did he say? He mentioned where he was, and it was something else, Revolution right? Square. Yeah, Revolution right. Square. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, so I watched the whole thing, too, and um, I kind of don't believe him. Oh, you think he was doing something nefarious down there? N- I, no, I, it seems like a PR stunt. 
Oh. He did not seem genuine to me at all. The way that he was speaking in that video was very strange to me. I kind of was just like, eh, this guy's making some stuff up. That's interesting. I never even see. That's the trusting person in me. I always, <laughs> I need to get rid of that guy because I'm like always I call it gullible, but I always believe it's always innocent until proven guilty. So I always believe people. And I their mean, word. and I, I don't. I feel bad. Like I don't want to tell the say he's a liar. I'm sure it happened, but you know, if it happened to me, I'm sure I would be like out of my mind too. But the way he was telling the story was just very strange to me. Yeah, yeah. Oof, okay, but, but this know. guy, if you watch the video, he gets his thrills going into active war zones almost. Um, he yeah. he is uh, an adventure and thrill seeker, the likes of which I consider to be reckless. Um, yeah. What did he say, 18 countries in the past year, he said? Uh, I, I think it was over 20, he said, uh, yeah. in the past year. Um, and with, with a wife and two small kids at home, I mean, I'm, I'm a new dad. I would not necessarily be doing those reckless things. I don't know his life. I'm not going to judge him. But I, I most certainly wouldn't do some of the things that he's done. I would because he, he lives less than an hour from me. I would love to sit down over a beer and hear his stories and live vicariously through them. That's fine by me. Um, but I, I look at this and I think, okay, if it, if it is legitimately true, uh, Revolution Square, uh, for those that don't know, it's surrounded by buildings where a lot of the, the, the high-level uh, bureaucracy of, uh, of the Cuban government is, is located. And so um, there are military guards around, I'm sure, and there are people uh, paying very, very specific attention to, mm-hmm. uh, to people doing things that might be associated with spying. And so I don't think it's inconceivable that he gets detained as a potential spy or terrorist uh, and, and goes through this particular process. Um, after five days, uh, he met with the, um, uh, the Canadian consulate, and they, they said that uh, your wife knows you're alive and that they know you're here. And, and so that, that added some sense of relief, I'm sure, to that experience. But imagine for five days, you're locked in a cell, solitary confinement, no sunlight, no anything, uh, and you don't know if anybody knows you're alive or dead. Uh, yeah. that, That's horrible. That, that is terrifying. That is terrifying beyond belief. Um, now, that being said... There are countries that have very strict laws about photography and about drones, and if you take that equipment into a country without knowing what those rules are, uh, you are subject to the penalties. And that's just the, the, the bottom line for this kind of a scenario. It, if you're being reckless in certain, in certain ways, um, play within the rules, play outside the rules. If you're outside the rules, then there are consequences to face if you get caught. Uh, I think that it all just boils down to that. The consequences here could have been far worse for this guy. Oh, he yeah. Was, he oh, was yeah. out in 13 days. You know, he was mentioning in this video that there were people there, some guy from Russia, uh, 14 yeah. months, mm-hmm. and two people from Italy. No, Russia and Italy are not third world countries or developing nations nearby. Um, they, they would potentially have the power to, uh, to get their people out. So maybe the real heroes here is, uh, is Chris's wife, uh, who thought something was wrong and reached out to the Canadian government and the Canadian government for solving this problem of uh, removing the label of being a terrorist and a spy and getting him declared innocent in less than two weeks. So, I mean, I, I, I've oh, been to Cuba get, on it, vacation and uh, it's, it's a wonderful place. I'd love to go back there. I, I'm not going to bring a drone, but you know what's <laughs> funny? Um, when we were in Cuba, we were uh, at a resort near Santiago, and wonderful place would go back there in a heartbeat. We didn't realize at the time that it was about 10 kilometers away from Guantanamo Bay. 
Oh. And so fast forward to today. If I were to do that today, now that drone, uh, drones are, are prevalent and I could potentially take one with me and I'm just walking down the beach uh, with my lovely wife and say, okay, well, let's just do some wonderful beach shots. And I fly a drone accidentally over Guantanamo Bay. Uh, I'm a new detainee there. You know? I was going to say, <laughs> you would become a new resident possibly yeah. there. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't have known. Right. So yeah. you have to be very, very careful about these things. Yeah, no, I know. I, I totally agree. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story. And, and Christine, you know, shedding the light on it. that could be a PR stunt. That's I'm that's, sure yeah, it's that's not. I'm just and then it's cynical. also yeah. Cynical. And then also the idea that that maybe he was doing something. I mean, yeah, I mean, like with anything, especially when in a for, in a country that's foreign to you, you. You know, you have to, you know, you, I, you know, me as an ex-military person, if I see anything that looks government related when I'm outside of the United right. States, I'm like, you know, no sudden movements, just walk, yeah. try well, to blend and, in. I mean, I'm a tree, you know. <laughs> this just you know? really puts a pin on the point that photographers are looked at as suspicious a lot of the times, no matter where yeah. you are. And it's yeah. something, you know. I won't trespass. I will get a permit if I'm supposed to have a permit. I research where I'm going if I'm taking people somewhere. I think it just goes to show the responsibility that you have to have as a photographer because people do kind of give you the eye and and want to know what you're doing. When you think Chris has, you know, having gone to umpteen more countries than I've ever been to in the last year... You would think that he has that level of sense to know the do's and don'ts of flying drones near government installations or military or anything well, like that. Well, I think knowing and or not knowing is different than caring or not caring. <laughs> oh, you mean like, hey, I'm gonna ask, for, I'm gonna ask forgiveness. I'm just gonna get the shot, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. ask for forgiveness, not permission. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and I think that might uh, might be the the solid line for a lot of photographers because. Um, I, I've done some urban exploration myself, uh, and I know some photographers that have uh, even made TV shows about that particular thing. Mm-hmm. And urban exploration, for those that might not be familiar, is basically recreational trespassing. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you, you find an abandoned building, and you go and you explore it. And with a camera in hand, you can get some remarkable images if you go into the right kind of building. Um, I, myself, the most fantastic one that I've been in is uh, called Buzzleja. Uh, which is, I might be messing up the pronunciation, but it is the former uh, Communist Party headquarters uh, in Bulgaria, uh, built during the era of the Soviet Union. It is a remarkably destroyed building. Um, Maybe I'll even send you a link to put a picture in the show notes, because if people are curious, you should really see this building. It is fantastic and phenomenal. I met more English-speaking people in that building than I did in the rest of the country. Um, But it is an abandoned state-owned building, and so if you get caught in there, I mean, there might be some uh, some issues about that. Uh, A colleague of mine was uh, uh, he was traveling through an abandoned building. I can't remember exactly where, but the, the, the point of the story was that he heard some other people in the building and decided to hide in a closet because he wanted to avoid any possible confrontation. It turns out that the police were training their canine units in that same building, and they found him pretty damn quickly. <laughs> yes. And oh man, That's and he, he got off without any issues. Uh, uh, they they saw that he didn't have a backpack full of spray paint cans. He had uh, like some four by five large format cameras and stuff that he was taking pictures with. 
And so they realized, okay, you know, slap on the wrist. Just don't do that again. That was dumb. Just go away now. Um, And so that's the kind of response that a lot of people that take risks hope that they get. And if they get any worse than that, well, they've taken the risk to start with. So you deal with the consequences. Yeah, I mean, you got to go to where the shot is, right? But there's, like Christine said, there's a line, you know, you could go to where the shot is and you could you could operate under the auspices of ask for forgiveness after you get it, after you do it, and that may work sometimes, but every now and then you may spend 13 days, days in a Cuban prison <laughs> for flying a drone in Havana, you know? So, yeah, that's that's scary. I do not want to do that. I don't, I don't want to end up in a Vietnamese jail. That could be... Uh, that could be bad I for my. Want for I don't want to end up in any jail. Any jail. Period. Yeah. Any jail. Yeah. Done. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people outside the United States are like, man, I don't want to end up in an American jail. You know what they do over there? <laughs> so, yeah, jails. Jails just suck in general. You know. So let's let's try to keep our photographers and the Twib Army outside of incarceration. Do the right thing. Use common sense, and uh, you should be fine. All right, guys. Let's move on to the last segment here. Listener Q and A. Um, I think we're in listener Q&A. Yeah, this is where you guys get to answer a question that's coming from one of the listeners. This one comes in from Monty Vanderbilt. And Monty says, I would love to be able to push a button on my camera and speak a short phrase that would eventually become a caption. It would help me remember why I took that particular shot. With advances in speech recognition, this would be a killer feature for me. Do any cameras do anything like this or even save audio clips without the speech recognition? Don Kamarechka, what do you think? I, I, I'm a Nike, I'm an ex-Nikon guy. I'm still a Nikon guy. I still have all my Nikon gear. And the Nikons have a little audio microphone button on the back where you can press it and caption your images as you go. And Lightroom reads those captions so you can play them directly in Lightroom. So the support is there. It doesn't do speech to text. But it does, you know, it, it will record the audio file. What do you think? Yeah, and I think that that might be something that you wouldn't put in the camera as far as a uh, speech-to-text feature. But it could be interpreted in software, like Lightroom could have the speech-to-text functionality. So that you don't have to deal with that in camera, taking up whatever resources are required mm-hmm. uh, in order to maintain that functionality. Uh, the, the high-end Nikon cameras, I know the, uh, the D3, D4, the, that series will have that yeah. feature. I don't know if the lower ones do in the Nikon system. Um, Some, and of for, Some of them do. And yeah. for Canon, I've, I've, got, I've got a few cameras around me. I took a look at my 5D cameras. Uh, this mm-hmm. is 5D Mark II. It does not have that feature. But I was looking at the 1DX and the 1DX Mark II, and yes, it has exactly that feature. Um, So if I were to be reviewing an image, uh, all I have to do is press that little record button, and then all of a sudden it brings up a little thing that says recording memo. And so right now it's recording that memo, and then I just let go of that button, and then that, that stays with that file. Is there, um, is there a limit to how long that audio file can be? Like, is it, it like says it's thirty seconds, okay. uh, which is more than enough uh, for most cases. Thirty seconds uh, and it'll cut off, or thirty seconds and it'll stop and create a new file and keep going. I think it just cuts off. Although, to be honest, it's not a feature I've ever used. So I tested it, and I know that it works uh, in preparation for this. But I think Canon reserves that for just the one D series camera bodies, and I don't know if any of the mirrorless or Micro Four Thirds or smaller point and shoot cameras will have this feature as well. None that I own. It doesn't seem like it's a difficult feature to include. However, I think that it is a very seldomly used feature, and thereby you're not likely to find it on anything but either niche products or the the top-of-the-line flagship cameras. I agree. I mean, I have my Nikon forever, and I I mean, 
multiple Nikon cameras that all had that feature, and I think I used that feature exactly once, and that's when I discovered it after taking it out of the box, and I was like, let me see how this works. Oh, that's cool, and I never, <laughs> never really use it again. Christine, would you, I mean, you know, Monty Vanderbilt's question is about, you know, having audio annotations. Would you use anything like this in your daily workflow? You know, I was trying to think of, I'm in the Canon 5D world, so I don't have this capability on my on my cameras. Yeah. Um, you know, the only thing I could think of is I've been in situations where I'm doing, like, a plethora of headshots in a row, and it's five minutes with a person. I'm not really remembering who they are, and I have to sync up uh, delivering images to the right people. Yeah. Like, well, maybe I could, like, put the name in there, and that would be really helpful. So I'm not dealing with paperwork. It's just in the file. Um, I mean, I use my phone for stuff all the time. I'll do, like, a little video and record a caption. If it's, like, a historical thing and I want to remember... Usually I just take a picture of the sign that's there so that it's in line with what I, I just, need to remember. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. This, I mean, if, if they had this on my cameras, I might use it. I'm just the worst at captioning stuff. <laughs> I'm just like, I just shoot and then later I figure it out in the back end, you know, and, and do all that stuff later. I don't know that I'd want to do it. While you know what I'm would shooting. be very useful though is if I could translate my spoken word into not just a caption. I don't think I'd find much value in a caption, but keywords. Yeah, and absolutely. And so. If yeah. I was in a particular scene, and like my camera has GPS information, so I don't necessarily need to speak of the location, but if I take a picture of a particular bird and I recognize the species of that bird and I can speak to the camera and identify that species of bird that then gets translated into a caption, I mean, that, that's just one small scenario. It, it could be the make and model of a car. It could be anything based on what you like to photograph. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having that automatically keyword things, I think, would be the saving grace for me because I don't keyword anything. Um, I, I use reverse geotagging to get me geo keywords, but beyond that, it, it becomes a bigger challenge for me to find stuff afterwards. If I could do that in camera in the field as just part of the process of taking the image, I think that would be far more useful. I think so, too. I totally agree with you. I think that's brilliant. Now, I do, do know, Christine, you'd mentioned about uh, doing a whole bunch of, uh, of headshots in a row, uh, and kudos for using the word plethora, but if you have the, the idea of, of doing that, like I know that there are photo studios that like, go into an elementary school and photograph like every single kid in the school within a day, Canon-made versions of the 7D and the 7D Mark II that have a barcode reader functionality based into it. Uh, So you can connect a barcode reader to whatever predefined list. So you scan the barcode, that gets associated with the EXIF data. Very similar idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't have that on on any 5D camera, just the 7Ds. But it then goes back to that same idea that we can use these features in order to, in the field while we're shooting, document and categorize and organize our work. And there currently isn't a good, at least not a universal workflow for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I like the machine learning stuff, you know, because I I like... (laughs) I like the idea. I mean, once it once it gets smart enough to be smarter than we are, I like the idea of having machines do all that work and pick out the and basically keyword everything for me. Because otherwise, it's never going to get done. It's not going to be consistent. As long as you have humans involved with anything, it's never going to be <laughs> consistent. <laughs> so. I noticed Facebook gave my images keywords recently. I didn't know oh, that really? was a thing. 
Uh-oh. Flickr is doing this as well, where oh, yeah. if, you up, if you upload an image that is predominantly a certain color, they'll add the keyword of that color yeah. to the image and, yeah. and other subjects that might be identifiable. Say if you take a picture of the moon, pretty sure that can be an identifiable feature, and Flickr might be able to say, hey, this is a photo of the moon automatically and add that keyword to it. Yeah. We, are, yeah. we are at the tip of the iceberg of this stuff. We will be seeing much more of it in the very, very near future, I think. We talked about this on TWIP a couple of weeks ago, and Google has recently updated their algorithm. I think they talked about it at Google I.O. as well. Um, their, their image machine learning algorithm that looks at images and determines mm-hmm. what they are and adds keywords based on that so they can become searchable. So, you know, it's basically smarter now. So if, it, if there's like a train sitting on some train tracks with mm-hmm. people around it, it will say there's a train with, on train tracks with people around it. It will, I think I think the example they showed even showed that if the train was in motion and you could tell that the train was in motion, it would say the train is moving down the tracks with people in the foreground. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. smart. And then we're, we're only in 2016, you know, 2017 soon. So I'm thinking 2020, you know, if I still care about photography by then, it should, things should be really if cool. we're not all replaced by robots, as uh, soon as they can figure out how to roll creativity into artificial intelligence, then oh we are God. all obsolete. I know. I'm going to be in my holodeck with an IV and a catheter, and that's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> just plug me in. Plug me into the Matrix and just, you know, let me sustain. Life is better that way. Life yeah. is better, you know. Like, where's Frederick? Oh, he's over there. Go roll him over. <laughs> He's flying right. his drone in virtual Cuba. Yeah, exactly. Getting arrested oh, no. in virtual Cuba. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't get me started on that are we living in a simulation thing, man, because it could happen. Um, <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, Twip listeners, Twip Army, if you have a question that you'd like us to tackle on the show, you can hit us up on social media or you can become a patron and post your questions on Patreon. I'm always going to check that first because those folks have precedence when it comes to questions. Um, so become a patron twip.pro slash donate alright we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we're going to jump into the picks of the week coming soon to the twip network a brand new show called pocket shooters we believe this is an extremely important show and the time has come for mobile phone photography to be taken seriously the capabilities in some of these late model iPhone and Android devices is nothing short of amazing and the image quality is getting close to what previously was only achievable using professional cameras. This show will explore the vast universe of tools, software, and techniques that you can employ to begin creating pro-level mobile phone shots today. So head over to twip.pro slash pocket shooters and get in on our early announcement list and be one of the first people to check out this brand new show on the Twip network. Once again, that's twip.pro slash pocket shooters. All right, it's time for our picks of the week segment. This is the segment where you guys can recommend something to the photography Twip Army listening audience. Christine, all word, Christine the photographer. I'm going to let you go first. What's your pick of the week? Okay, I'm, I'm going to get my best geek on. Uh-oh. I'm, I'm giving an app. I think my last two have been paper-based. <laughs> Picks of the week. Oh, like books so, or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's an app called Duet. Have you heard of this? I own Duet Display, yes. You own it? Yes. Oh, the app. Not the, the app. No, no, not, you did the not create it. No, <laughs> no, I am I was not. Like, shut up. I am not the developer. I am a customer. <laughs> 
have you talked about this already? I just... Mm, I think we talked about it a long time ago, oh. but yeah, tell us what you think. Well, so I have a pretty small little workspace, and I don't like to buy stuff, as we've established. So this turns my iPad into a second display, um, which for me when I'm home is basically where I put my junk, like my Spotify and my email and my messaging so that when I'm editing, it's to the side. Um, but the cool thing on location with tethering is that it gives me another display so I can give a main monitor to a client, but then oh. maintain a visual because you can mirror your display. It's not just a, a secondary one. Yeah, because so it, it just I, sees I it as another m- another like monitor connected to your computer. It's not like it's a special thing. It's like there's another monitor connected to me, and you can do all the things that you could normally do with another monitor, right? Yes. Yeah. So I just turn on the mirroring when I'm on location so that I can still keep an eye on what's going on, and then the client has the main monitor. Very Which cool. is nice because then I'm just, you know, things are being redundant. I'm not continually adding to my gear pack like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Hey, Don, do you, have you, do they, is this available? It is for PC. Have you, have you tried it? I, I haven't. Well, I, I don't own an iPad anymore. Uh, I've switched to my uh, my Microsoft Surface as a, as a second device. But um, I, I, I'm not at a loss for, for desk space. Um, I, I don't know if we can necessarily see this here, but I've got the one monitor here that is a secondary display um, oh, that has everything else on. And then I've got a 32-inch display that has like a million icons and stuff on it. And then like a beastly computer that is sitting here that's all water-cooled and everything that weighs more than me almost. Um, so, yeah, I, I go big or go home. <laughs> I, I had I had no dreams or wishes that this was going to change Don's world in any way. <laughs> no, it's, it's not going to change my world. Uh, you're, like, you're like spitting in Don's hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, hey, what, what was that? I have no idea. Um, but I, I will say that, uh, that the idea of passing a secondary display to a client is a fantastic idea. Yeah, it is. So that if you can send, like, I know that Lightroom can split displays and you can send a separate, more refined screen also mm-hmm. to a second monitor. Um, and so that you can show them just the good stuff while you've got all the user interface on right. your end. Um, and to have sort of a, a side-by-side sit down with the person where they can hold that in their hands while you've got the main screen in front of you and they're on the other side talking to their significant other or whoever else is nearby, um, deliberating on a particular image versus a different one. And you can bounce back and forth and be in control of exactly what they're seeing without any of the stuff they don't need to see, mm-hmm. I think is a wonderful idea. Yep, I have to agree with that. Very cool. Aww. All right, I may have to start using mine now. <laughs> I got it. I, you know, I hate it. I, you're going to laugh at me, Christine, but I got it, and I used it. I plugged it into my iPad Pro, and I have another workstation at my house. My house is probably the antithesis of the Komarechka residence, <laughs> right? Think austere, sparse. You've seen it. You know, it's like it's not a whole lot of like crazy stuff going on here. But I have a workstation in my office now that's... You know, it's my stand-up desk where my MacBook Pro is, and off to the side is a is a iPad Pro that I generally watch YouTube videos on while I'm, on the, while I'm working on the on the Mac. I can look out the window, uh, but I like it like that. I never thought of using it, and I originally I had Duet Display connected, and it just made you know it it kind of 
it kind of uh, reduced the zenness of that area because I had too much stuff over there. Unlike Don Comerenci, I had too much stuff. And I was like, this is too much. If I want more desk space, I'll go sit at my big desk and I'll have more desk space. So, but to use it as an external display on a shoot has merit. And which really awesome. only works if you're stationary because it does have to be plugged in. It's yeah, not, it's not wireless. It's yeah. not wireless. So yeah. it which, depends on the project, but it, it has come in handy for people's eyeballs cool. to be... Everyone That's is happy. Cool. And you could, oh man, now, now my brain is turning. You could go get one of those stands that musicians use to, you know, to put your iPad on it. They use it, you know, because they use iPads as for music, mm-hmm. you know, um, for sheet music. But Just you could put, get one of those and put yeah. your iPad on there and have it stabilized on a stand while you're shooting. Get it. And there's long, I was actually on Amazon today. They've got really long, 10-foot long oh, yeah. uh, Thunderbolt cables. I think uh, the longest one I saw was 10-foot. But you can get these long Thunderbolt cables, plug that in, and you know, you've got some mobility. could work. I like it. All right, Christine, thanks for that. That's the duet duet display. And uh, Don Komarechka, man, what is your pick of the week? All right. Um, I, I, have, uh, I, I admit that I have a bad case of gas, uh, gear acquisition syndrome. I knew and that one. And and so I, wait, with Christine, he also has gear acquisition syndromes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so I I have invested in uh, some hardware recently, and this is a particular piece of gear uh, from a company called Cognosis called the Stackshot, mm. and uh, this is an automated focusing rail for macro photography. Now, I typically shoot a lot of my stuff handheld uh, with macro work. It's just it's a necessity of certain subjects being water droplets and snowflakes that are melting and evaporating very, very quickly. Um, but for certain projects, especially for video work, where I need very smooth automatic transitions moving into focus or rotating a subject, this is going to be fantastic. And I just used this on, a, uh, on an unnamed shoot that I just did that was it was the required piece of gear because they asked me, if I could move through a subject to get a focus stack of, of, of it and get it perfectly pristine and then rotate the subject by about a degree and do the same thing again in a way that can be then put into rotational video that puts it all together in, oh. in a video set. So uh, the stack shot, I mean, th- this is the focusing rail component of that, but Cognosys, uh, they make the, the controller, which is so powerful. It has, I mean, it's unplugged right now, of course, but it has the ability to program it in I don't know, 10 or 20 different ways based on the kind of hardware that you attach to it. You can have three different abilities for motion. You can do um, horizontal, uh, like uh, back and forth, like left and right, uh, forward and backward, if you have multiple of these attached together. So that would be two of them. They also have a rotational uh, component. And the rotational component is really interesting because I can control this to, to shift it in just a circle so that it's spinning something around, which is what I needed to convert something to be a, uh, you know, a, a rotation by one degree. And it has a mode where I can focus stack the entire thing and then shift it by one degree and then focus stack it again. Uh, and it's worked phenomenally for that project. And I'm gonna, I've got a ton of new ideas for it. And they've got this remote that I just think is the coolest thing ever. Because while I can control it with the touchscreen on the device, I like having this little joystick that lets me move it forward and backward and then rotate it by moving this around. It's like I'm controlling my own little uh, you know, camera uh, motion control apparatus here. The problem is it's not cheap. Um, so you're looking at 
probably around five to six hundred dollars for an initial setup in U.S. Yeah. funds. Once yeah. you get the um, uh, the setup with the the rail, the controller, and a camera cable to control it, um, the rotational platform is I think another three hundred and fifty dollars. The remote again is an expense on top of that. So I paid a lot for this setup. Um, but I've got around four or five ideas right now that would not be possible without it, uh, with some video stuff coming up over this winter. So, um, I don't use this for a lot of my stills. When I'm doing stills, I like the freedom of rotating the camera around the subject, but for video work or when I need to be in a really controlled environment, I don't think there is a better choice than this. And listening to you describe that, I know Christine is probably like, oh, I need to go run out and buy that right <laughs> now. How could I how could I have lived my entire life without that stack shot macro rail package? <laughs> I, th- I think Don and I are going to be best friends. <laughs> you guys, yin and yang, like completely the yin and yang. I love it. We almost look like we could be related. I know. I know. You're like, Don, you could, I don't know who would be the younger brother, younger sister. I don't know. You guys might be twins. I don't know. I kind of think so. <laughs> I love it. Cool. All right. So stack shot macro rail package 549 to get into it. I knew... Did you post something like this? Like there were some shots that someone was doing with slow motion. That's hey, was it you that posted it, Don? I I, it I might not it have been Facebook. me because I just got this package recently and I've put it into projects commercially that uh, that are not mine. I don't own the results of them. Um, but uh, I've got about you know, like I said, four or five ideas right now. If if you could imagine this, Frederick, if you could imagine this platform right here. And if I have a super magnified macro lens pointing right to the center of this platform, yeah. and I put, I leave this outside so it's nice and cold and it's not going to melt any snowflakes, and I put a clump of the most beautiful snowflakes in the center of this pedestal, and then I spin it and rotate it, how beautiful would that look? Okay, so that's one of the ideas. Um, now, maybe I'll even do that in stereoscopic 3D, which will blow people's minds. Uh, You'll need to talk about that so. on your show. I think that is a perfect topic for your show. And that's a good example. What you talked about, like just to, to bring it full circle to talk about the, the action cams we were talking about at the beginning of the show, how buying some gear for a need that you have versus... like You would never have purchased that just to have it laying around just in case one day you might have to do some kind of photography. I had a use for it, an immediate use, a client requested footage that required this, and so I bought it for that, and now I've got ideas that would not be possible without it. There you go, and that's how it happens. That's cool. I love it. All right, it's time for my pick of the week. You guys ready for this? We are. All right, so my pick of the week is this brand new lens. that It's not a new lens, actually. It's new to me. Um, it is a 42.5 f1.7 uh, micro four thirds lens. And let me show it to you here. All right, here it is, right there. Look at this. Look at that. So this camera, nice. just so you can get an idea of how, the size of this camera. So this is a this is the Panasonic GX8, right here. So that's how big the GX8 is. It's stabilized, five axis image stabilization. This is a beautiful camera. It's got an articulated LCD on the back. And then on the front of it, I have this little tiny 42.5, which is a, what, an 85 in full frame terms. And look how big this is. Look at this. Look at that. Oh, look how cute! It's a little, look, this is my iPhone. Look at that. <gasps> right there. And this lens, the images, yeah, sorry, Don. I know you're compensating. Uh, so, the, so 
So the images that come out of this lens are fantastic. So the other body that I carry around is this guy. This is my Lumix G, uh, the G8 right here. So it's got an articulated screen on there, and it has my 15-millimeter F1.7 on it. So between these two, I can shoot 90% of the stuff that I need to shoot. And look, it's like And both of those weigh about a third of my camera. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But we're doing different kinds of stuff. You're doing NASA-level stuff. <laughs> so, so much respect to the, to the Komarechka. But uh, it is available on Amazon. Here's the, uh, here's the screen. So it's on Amazon right here. This is it. It's a beautiful... It's like, I, before I bought this lens, I, uh, you know, I did the whole YouTube journey of watching reviews after review after review on this lens. Unfortunately, we didn't have any on All About the Gear. But there were other reviews on this thing, and they were, like, people just rave about it. Now, there's the there's another lens that Panasonic makes, which is the, I want to say it's the 42-millimeter, 42.5-millimeter Noctocron. And I think that's the most expensive lens Panasonic makes, and it's also, like, five times the weight of this one. <laughs> but it's a well, 1.2. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's amazing how that scales, right? From 1.7 to 1. Mm-hmm. 1.2, and it just yes. becomes this massive piece of glass that you can barely handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard, is this it right here? No, that's not it. Um, yeah, I won't pull it up. But it is... Yeah, it's a beautiful lens, and it has. I'm in this whole exercise of minimalism using just these two lenses and these two bodies. Each of these cameras are configured identically with the same, you know, hot buttons and everything. So I could pick up either one, and I know exactly what's going to happen when I press the shutter. So it's it's re, it's liberating. And I have other lenses, but these are the ones that I'm carrying around, you know, when I go out. You know, right. these are the ones that are in my bag all the time. I, I will make one uh, one sort of devil's advocate comment on this, though, Frederick, is because Uh-oh. you've got... Don't that... rain on my parade, man. No, no, You're I'm not raining rain on your parade. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually quite envious because you've got all of this gear in a small package. Yeah. Um, the, the equivalency in focal length applies to the field of view, right? So the, mm-hmm. uh, the amount that you'll be getting in the frame, but it does not apply. The focal length doesn't effectively change. And focal length on a more fundamental level controls the compression of objects within the frame. And so one of the reasons why portrait lenses are very useful at, say, 85 millimeters, 100, 200 millimeters, is because they will compress the facial details uh, to make it more pleasing to the eye. Now, by using that focal length equation to say, okay, well, you're using a, a sensor that has a two times crop factor, that doesn't skirt around that problem of that compression. That compression is a factor of the focal length and not of the field of view. So you're so, saying so the bokeh on these lenses is going to be noticeably different than the bokeh on a similarly sized focal length on a full-frame camera? Uh, not, not the bokeh per se, but let, let's use an extreme example like a fisheye lens. Yeah. So if I take a fisheye lens that has, like, if you put like a fisheye lens like right up to your face, like your nose is going to be like 10 feet wide. Like it's yes. just, it's ridiculous. Um, that same um, lack of compression, let's say, that the separation of facial features will exist no matter what camera you put it on. It will just take a smaller viewpoint towards the center of it. So if you were to take a more telephoto lens, say like 24 millimeters, 40 millimeters, 50 millimeters, somewhere in that range, then facial features might appear normal to us. But the pleasing, the best portrait focal lengths 
at 80 millimeters plus will still be at 80 millimeters plus. The field of view will be condensed to exactly what that would be on a full frame camera, but the compression of features will not be the same. The compression of features is a factor of the focal length and not of the sensor size. Can uh, I put in a request for your show? That you demystify focal lengths as they respe- as they relate to different sensor sizes, absolutely, and all that because I need to know this, you know, because you the you sitting there explaining, you know, I got the same chill down my spine as I had in calculus. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a whole episode on it for sure. Um, but but all I'm saying is that there is that one small compromise of these smaller camera bodies and these smaller lenses. And you know what? It's a compromise almost everybody is willing to make uh, in most cases. For those people that are shooting with a full-frame camera, you probably know what I'm talking about when you see the differences between these things. Uh, or if you've been a professional portrait photographer for many years, you'll probably understand that as, we- as well. Somebody new to this field, they might not know this, and they might not appreciate it or understand it, and that's fine because that's not going to stop you from making fantastic images with this yeah. fantastic gear that we all have at our disposal. So yeah. I don't want mean th- uh, I don't want this to be a roadblock for anybody. Um, but it is that one tiny caveat that says a bigger sensor with longer focal length still has some benefit. And that's why some people still swear by medium format cameras that yeah. are now becoming more accessible as well. Love it. Love it. Cool. Well, thank you for not raining too hard on my parade. It was a light <laughs> mist, but it, was, <laughs> it wasn't a full on downpour. And I still love this kid. You got it like this. The kid is ridiculous. You know, you, you and for the it. price, my God, you can't get anything else for this. No. And it, it's remarkable of what you can do with these kits that for all intents and purposes, I can fit in my glove box and just leave it there for the moments where it's needed. Or, yeah. you know, my wife could fit into her purse and that would be the camera for her. This is becoming quick an anachronism and I'm holding up my 1D series camera body for those yeah. listening it's bigger uh, than your head in that shot because of that focal length yeah <laughs> yeah exactly there you go so I mean I know I'm on the dying end of this stuff right now and I need it for certain things but I'm looking at what you have with that same gas yeah I know this is this is <laughs> You know, I I lust after these cameras because they they just they're so well made and just the you know you would think it, it's still it's still a leap for a lot of people to think that you can get high quality from a micro four thirds sensor or how could these little lenses possibly create something you know great and they can you, you know, know what? If, especially if this thing can create great shots you know? even even as far as megapixels go I've got a print on the wall behind me here and that's made from seven megapixels worth of data. It's an 80 by 20 print. And if you nose up to it, it looks fantastic. And it did, not, it did not start that way. There was some massaging of pixels to get it to be as great as it is. But you can't buy a camera that is less than that by a large margin anymore these days. And yeah. so we have all of the tools we need. We just have to pick the right ones for us. Uh, and then we're limited only at that point by our creativity. All right. On that note, let's close this show down. What do you say, guys? So... What do you have coming up, Don, while you're, while you're on a roll there? Uh, well, I, I've got an unnamed project that I'm working on with National Geographic uh, that's going to be a lot of fun through the winter months. I've got some sold-out stuff and more to announce in the future, but we'll save that for when I've got it all planned out. All right, cool. You're always busy. I love it. I love it. Changing the world. You're the man that has his own money. I just want to go on the record. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that, Christine? I did know that. That's so, yeah. so cool. The man literally has his own money. I know. Yeah. I kind of want one. 
Very cool. Very cool. All right. And Christine, what about you? What's what's coming up for you? You're in uh you're in holiday photo season, yep. getting ready to do some pumpkin photos. <laughs> no pumpkin <laughs> photos. Holiday season photos for sure though. I mean that's the pretty much the rest of my year. If anyone needs me somewhere tropical in January, just give me a call. Oh, there you go. How about Cuba? <laughs> you could do some, ah, no, Cuba. some drone photography <laughs> in Cuba. <laughs> uh, you could do like pumpkin pumpkin shots inside a seven by seven cell. Oh dear. Works. Oh yeah. dear, no. <laughs> yeah, that could uh, yeah. Yeah, Don, if that guy if Chris only lives an hour from you, I think that could be a field trip for you. Just to Oh, that would be fantastic. Buy him a cup of coffee and, and get tell him, Hey, we talked about you on Twip. Can you tell me what really went down? I'm sure there might be a shot of whiskey needed for the best stories, but I, yeah. I can make that happen. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, folks, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Remember, you can help grow and expand TWIP by becoming a patron. Every donation helps. Just have a, head over to twip.pro slash donate to get access to patron-only TWIP resources and my undying gratitude. That's twip.pro slash donate. And you can also check us out at thisweekinphoto.com to subscribe to our other podcasts and all things photography. And now it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn 